everybody. You can see that I'm sitting by myself. Jackson is sitting down in a semi somewhere in the middle of Texas. I don't think we could. This is as far apart as we've ever been, I think, do the old podcast, you and I. <laughs> oh, and I think I feel like I'm in a whole different universe on top of being a far distance from you. We're in eastern Texas on I-20, getting close to Louisiana. And the grass is like, I don't know, probably six inches tall. Half the trees got leaves on them. And I'm sitting here, Chris is driving, and I'm sitting here going, this is a little bit depressing in the springtime for us because I think we are, (laughs) this is like mid-May Montana stuff. So I'm like, oh, yeah, a few months down the road, we'll be seeing some of this action. Yeah, looking at it now, it seems hopeless. We got... (laughs) We got quite a we had quite a good storm this last weekend, so you're coming back to some back to some white. Yeah, I couldn't believe I got out ahead of that. I think I I left to the airport. We just finished racing in Phoenix. Do you call it Phoenix or Phoenix? Phoenix. Phoenix. Man, we do a lot of enunciation and pronunciations on the show, I've realized it kinda that might have to be a thing we just throw in on the regular. Phoenix. Phoenix. I, I've, actually, I've actually never heard it pronounced the way you were trying to... Phoenix? Trying to get people... Mountains. Okay, so it's mostly just me. I'm kind of the... I need to do Hooked on Phonics, I think. Do you remember that, Hooked on Phonics? I remember Hooked on Phonics. Yeah. So I got a couple things I want to tell you about that's been going on, and then we'll probably spend the second half of the episode just talking about this, this race that you've been in down in Phoenix with... Yeah. With the yeah, junior sure. motorsports, yeah, my first full, my first full race for sure. So I also have a, uh, I had a listener question I've got too. You just, you just slip that in there when you want, but I've got it there. I've got it here. It's a pretty good question. Something that we overlooked to talk about. Weston and I talked a lot about. Let's start it now. Let's do it now. Okay. So it was asked. In fact, let me uh, give me one second. I want to look up his name here because. Nice to give a little shout out to the Namich. Hold on. David Solomon. David Solomon wanted to know what a milk run is. Weston and I referred to a milk run several times. I did. In reference to hauling livestock. I remember you guys calling that. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and Rooster, Rooster used that term too with all the hogs that he picked up. And I, I just totally went right over my head. I didn't realize that that is something that people need to know what a milk run is. So. The term milk run comes from, see, in the dairy world where they milk cows, they have a, they have a refrigerated tank on each dairy, and that, that dairy tank has to be emptied out about every other day. So a big dairy might have, you know, half a semi-load of milk every other day. Smaller dairies are going to have, you know, maybe a couple thousand pounds of milk every other day. But the milk trucks would have to go around and pick up milk from all these different dairies where they, you know, probably six, seven stops every morning to the various little rural dairies. And that would, that would complete the full load and they had to do a lot of stops. And then it's funny because on the other end, back in the day, you know, they used to deliver milk and you have to make kind of like delivering newspapers. You have to make a bunch of stops, drop milk off. So milk has always been kind of related to several stops. So we call it a milk run when you have to pick up maybe, say, cattle in Lewistown, and you got to drive 50 miles and pick up cattle at another place and then go 
go down to Bozeman and pick up some more cattle and then ended up in uh, Billings. And this time of year, when the cattle start getting slower, we do more milk runs. They're very undesirable, like the, the hardcore haulers, like the guys higher up on the food chain. They do not do milk runs. So when we first started trucking, that's how we got our foot in the door was, hey, I got a load, but you have to make five or six stops. No veteran trucker in a thousand years wants to do this load. But you guys are young and you're kind of dumb. So want to do the milk run? So we do the milk run. And I, then our dad, Rooster, he stayed at the very bottom rungs his whole trucking <laughs> life. Because every single week, it had to have been 80, 90% of the time you could consider his loads milk runs going to South Dakota. Best case scenario. He would always load out Tuesday night, but I can remember Monday nights, he'd go up to Cut Bank, stay the night, pick up hogs up up north in Cut Bank, which is uh, what, two, two and a half hour drive in a semi from yeah. here. Come down, load the hogs that he'd collected here in Fairfield. And he'd drive up the road a, an hour and he'd meet two or three trailers on the road where they'd back up a horse trailer or a grain truck to his semi and throw something in. And then he'd stop at Hooterite Colony, you know, halfway to Billings and load. And then, yeah, about halfway to, to South Dakota, he's finally got a full load of hogs every single <laughs> week, every single week. Yeah. Yeah. So listeners now can understand why a milk run to us was like well what's the big deal i didn't know there was anything else like i thought everybody did this little did we know that that was not the case for most cattle haulers but for us and you know and then we we had goats and sheep and cattle the only thing we never hauled on those loads was pigs we didn't mix any pigs in with them that would have put us right on on the low rung par with rooster <laughs> <laughs> That's going to lead me into another listener question myself that we got on Instagram. Oh, right on. So since your name dropping, I guess I better look up, look up the name here. So this is from William. Oh man, I'm going to, I'm going to hammer this last name. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's Kaziar. William Kaziar. Oh. William, if I, if I butchered that too badly, please correct me. He, he thinks it'd be interesting to have a whole episode on networking, which I, I don't disagree. On, on what was it you said? Networking. Oh, he said Jax has networked his way from hauling loads from farmers to hauling loads for heavy D to hauling for juniors race team. He said, I'm young yeah. and I'd like to hear your advice on networking your way to success as it seems Jax is doing. And my answer was, I think his biggest secret is he's just a freaking goofball. <laughs> <laughs> that that no, is what leads no, to it. <laughs> I'm, go I'm going to say that that term goofball can encompass a lot of things from just being an emotional goofball to doing literally goofy loads, which you're yeah. describing where you're, yeah. you're making multiple stops, throwing sheep, throwing goats, throwing whatever on. They used to call it paying your dues. And a lot of people yep. don't think that that is a, a thing that should be done anymore. But when you're paying your dues, I know that I know when you and Weston were talking, listening to those episodes, you were bottom of the barreling a lot of stuff from, from auctioneering to, hauling livestock but when you're doing that it man it sure puts you it sure puts you around a lot of people where you can start seeing the lay of the land and you can start kind of seeing who you might need to know yeah one it, it, it all pyramids 
to like for example when you do start at the bottom of the rung as far as getting to know the locals like that's what we started doing was hauling cattle for the local hauling hay for the local that will feed you for years to come even now i mean it's been years since those days that we hauled local cattle and local hay and i still get calls and texts and messages from local people wondering hey do you know where there's any hay for sale do you know it's, you know, whereas if I just come in on the top rung and I, I, I signed on with some big company that was hauling hay and, and I was just pulling loads and going where I was told, you wouldn't have that little, that pyramid foundation underneath you, that good, strong bedrock where, you know, you, you just don't get to know the people. And that's, again, that's, yeah, that's part of the networking deal is, and I didn't realize it at the time that, that five, six, seven years later, these people would still call saying, hey, you hauled some hay for me back in. 2015 do you know where there's any more hay and you know should you need some some loads there's it just kind of is this gift that keeps on giving if you start at the bottom basically what we're doing william is we're acknowledging that we got that and i i think we do need to spend more time on that and this is probably something that we need to spend jackson and i need to spend a little bit of time actually organizing but it just it just when you were talking jackson about the these milk runs when you know when you started way down there doing those i think that's a a lot of basis of where you began if you want to call it networking but anyway i just want to touch on that yeah that's good i'm glad he brought that up so we need to put a little time on networking and we need to put some time into we were going to talk fuel mileage this episode but i ended up being on the road here and not the greatest environment considering the truck that we're in and the loads that we're hauling probably not a good time to talk about fuel mileage <laughs> are you so so speaking of fuel mileage what's what's chris got the speedometer at am i allowed to say you i can tell your speed because we're in texas and the speed limit's high yeah 80 mile an hour speed limit across texas out here so we were more concerned with getting home by monday morning so they can start working on these race cars than we are saving the, the money it's just racing and fuel savings just don't really go hand in hand do you when you're sitting in that truck and uh and seeing that, seeing that odd, uh, that speedometer almost pegged out. Are you? Does it? Does it make your skin itch? I mean, do you get highs? Do you have any stress? Do you have any? You know, allergic reaction to that? It does. In fact, Chris, Chris keeps the curtain open here next to me, and he he reaches around and puts a hand on my shoulder, bunk, and just kind of pats my shoulder. It gives me like a reassuring. It's okay to hammer down tonight. Just keep after it. And then once you know. <laughs> Once he notices I'm keeping the speed up and everything's kind of how he prefers it, then the hand slowly slides down and disappears and it's gone and he goes to bed. But yeah, it's a, it's about 130 miles of some reassurance there from from, from the old Carolina cruiser. <laughs> oh man, has he ever has he ever been in a truck going as slow as you you tried to do when you first uh, started there? No, no, he has not. No, he has not gone under the He's not ever gone under the speed limit since he hired on with NASCAR. Actually, long before that, he was telling me some stories about when he used to haul out of California. And I'll probably better let him divulge the details of those stories. But Chris is Chris is the Carolina Cruiser now. That's his name because he cruises. <laughs> I'm getting an education. I'll tell you that. Well, yeah. Well, let's come back to that NASCAR in a little bit. For sure. Hey, uh, last week I we were talking a little bit about me back in the jail and that that girl who had gotten that minimum mandatory sentence 
Yeah. All right. So uh, two days ago, I was I was back in doing dental work in there, and that same girl had a fentanyl overdose in the week since I'd been in there. Oh, was it fatal? Almost, almost. Oh man, got to her just just in the nick of time and pulled her out of it. But uh, overdose in the jail. I think it'd be easy for, easier for you to find fentanyl in the jail than it would be on the streets. You would, I, you would not you believe know, the amount of uh, the amount of drugs that that come into those jails and prisons. Oh man, was it the same way up in Shelby? Did you find it? Yeah, a lot. There? A lot up in Shelby. Up in Shelby, those drugs all come in from. I'm not gonna say all, but the vast majority come in from staff. Really, they have such a, a extremely high turnover rate at that prison in Shelby. Oh, you just see some people that are are going through the training, and <laughs> you wonder. How many days removed they are from being on on the other side <laughs> of, the, got, of the door? Yeah. Um, they liked liked it so much they got a job there. Oh, and, you know, uh, and so you know, they a lot of manipulation, a lot of manipulation. Those those inmates have nothing to do all day except figure out ways to manipulate and get yeah. their way in and get someone hooked. But yeah, a lot of drugs come in with with staff. At the prison, wow. the, the jail, the county jail is different. Less turnover, it seems, because it's the sheriff's department that runs it. So a lot of these, all these guys are like on the sheriff's department, and it seems like there's a little bit more loyalty or commitment to the job, you know, through the sheriff's department versus just being a, a staff at a private prison. So it seems like a lot of the, the drugs that come into the the jail are actually brought in by by people coming in, you know, that have been arrested coming in. You know, they have all the, the body cavity searches, but they have a full body scanner where they can scan and see if there's anything being brought in inside of a person. I'll just leave it at that. That's where I was going next was how do they mule it in? Because Hollywood, not Hollywood, the we have a trucker out here named Hollywood. Not Hollywood the trucker, but Hollywood the movies. You know, they portrayed drug mule well, situation. yeah. In fact, there's a, a very acute name, acute name for that. They call it a prison purse. Really? <laughs> ask, ask Chris. If, ask Chris if he's ever heard that term. Chris, do you know what a prison purse is? A prison purse. Yeah. <laughs> he's getting the giggles. <laughs> you guys can talk about it off the air. <laughs> it's a very small suitcase. Yeah. But, kind of a cylinder. But yeah, that's um, that seems to be where most of the, you know, because a lot of these people, you, you get arrested out on the street, and you go yeah. from the side of the road. Literally, it could be you're pulled out of your car, put into the back Good of the, the sheriff's vehicle, and then you're out at the jail, you know, and they're and they're stripping you down and and whatnot. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that it, they pull off of people simply because they're they're coming right from an arrest. In yeah. the jail or in the prison, they've been in county jail. They've been through, you know, they've been through court. They've been through sentencing. They've been in jail for a long time before they actually go to prison. So a lot of this stuff is brought in. Just speaking of the, of the things that are smuggled. When we had our our training course a couple of weeks ago, they were they were showing pictures of one a an inmate had had built a tattoo gun, and he was getting his cell searched, and he. He decided to to tuck that thing into his prison purse with a string attached. Oh no! And so once the searching was done, he went to retrieve his tattoo gun, and the string broke. Oh. So he, 
after a little after a little what? bit got pretty uncomfortable so he he requested a, a visit to the, the hospital to to retrieve his his tattoo gun so in the course string bro in the course they said you know well you, you can imagine what the lesson was that he learned and i said yeah use uh, a stronger string next time <laughs> i think I'm, when you said a string my mind immediately went to you know the old the stairs that pull down from the attic yeah There's like a string that hangs out of the ceiling yeah you pull it down it's coming up that's that's where my mind kind of went with the visual yeah but yeah crazy though that girl that same girl with that minimum mandatory she had a she had a little overdose episode there you know part of it too is they they've been off of the streets for a while so their their tolerance for the amount of drug intake that they can they can handle without an overdose their tolerance goes down so so what used to work for them what used to work for them kills them now you know you know i read an article that i think they said last year we captured more enough fentanyl captured enough fentanyl to kill the entire united states did you hear that stat i don't know if i've heard that exact one but i mean the amount of fentanyl that you need to overdose is hardly anything it is so potent yeah so yeah i don't, I don't even know how much they would have to capture to to kill like, everyone yeah, not, but i don't not, think it's much not a lot no i don't think it is it's crazy yeah huh. i had another something else come to mind when we were in the jail this last week, and I wish I could remember the circumstances that that brought this to my mind, but it was a it was kind of a funny story. When I was working at the prison in Shelby, we had a a nurse that was working in there, and she was talking about an experience she had before coming to the the prison. She was working at a county jail in Cutbank. I think it was Cutbank, a county jail in one of the counties around here. Anyway, she had a seizure, or she actually led to the to her having to have cpr done on her and so so she had this seizure you know she was on the ground and and they ended up having to do cpr on her and she told me she said it was she said it was crazy because everything's filmed there so she was able to go back and watch on film oh man her having the seizure having you know everyone come do cpr whatever she said that the biggest thing about watching it though she said there was an officer in this jail that she was working at that she said was real good looking she had a big crush on him and so when when she was on the ground and it he was the one that responded to her and she said she quickly realized that this was the guy that was going to be doing cpr on her the guy she had a crush on and so (laughs) she said watching this video she actually started to have a little bit of a little bit of sexual excitement watching this video that that this guy that she had a crush on was actually going to be doing mouth to mouth on her and so she she's getting excited watching this video you know she's she said this this officer's just about to to lay lips on her when another officer who was who was in charge you know lieutenant or captain or something who she said was extremely obese and had a really sloppy tobacco chewing issue came running over and pushed the good looking officer out of the way Stuck his finger into his lip and pulled his dip out and threw it on the floor and immediately started doing mouth to mouth on her. <laughs> no way! <laughs> oh man, she said that she, her her excitement went from being so excited to disgust and like just a blink. She it was it was just so funny her telling the story where she she literally if they're not doing something she's gonna die. 
They intervened to save her life. And she's sitting here watching her literally her life. Literally, this is this yeah. is the time to use the word literal. Literally, literally watching her watching her life being saved. That if this isn't done, she's gonna die. And she's just excited this good looking guy's gonna do mouth to mouth and <laughs> just, the, just a, a mouthful of you know tobacco juice comes flying over. <laughs> Oh, I I know I, I, the visual is so clear because you get some of these truckers out here get a little sloppy with that. You got tobacco kind of sprinkling throughout all the gum lines. The teeth, I can just see him just just taking a finger swipe, <laughs> clear that lip out, perform the CPR. <laughs> That's pretty good, huh? Oh, you remember on the Sandlot when oh uh, yeah squints? Oh yeah, it's Wendy Peppercorn boiling. Tanning and oiling and tanning. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> so yep. he goes, jumps off the defense. Does oh the... man. <laughs> Dude, so, that's hilarious. Yeah. I'm just kind of got a collection of little knickknack stuff here. I wanted to do that. Yeah, good. That's a good time for it. Since we're just rolling, rolling down, down the road, road telling some stories. Got some stories yep. you can tell Chris to keep him awake, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I've got two. I could teach him about the uh, purse and tell him a story about the nurse. Yeah, the other one, something I don't remember what sparked this with you and you and Weston. The feedlot, we call it the feedlot. That's where Dad collected hogs every week. It yeah. was the feedlot, and it was it was a feedlot, but it wasn't used really anymore as a feedlot. Yeah, back in the seventies, I think they fed a lot in the seventies, and then kind of transferred it into a more of a buying station. There was infrastructure as if you know it could be a feedlot. You know, pens and corrals and you know, livestock scale alleys, but it was anyway, we called it the feedlot and there was an old, an old trailer, a trailer that you would live in, but it was an old trailer and that was the office for the feedlot there. And, and the, the trailer at the feedlot, the office, it kind of had over time became a little bit of a, a social gathering point for various, every Monday, various people. But one of the things that with the sociality of it, it developed that there was always some sort of a snack in there. And our the snacks, they varied a lot over the years. They varied a lot. They varied a lot. They, my earliest memories was cans of sardine and buttermilk. That was, oh. I, then that was, oh. and then the other was, was a non-alcoholic beer called Texas light. And that's what our grandpa always had in the fridge. There was sardines, buttermilk and Texas light. Grandpa Don had the weirdest so, palate. So like his, his taste was like, what? Is is you know, little kids, yeah, all right. So that's I mean, all right, that's all there is yeah. to eat over here, sardines <laughs> and Texas light, which tasted like I don't even know what it tastes like. Like <laughs> dog urine. I don't know. I know it wasn't good, but it was better than buttermilk. Is when you're a kid, so you have a yeah, choice. No buttermilk, nothing worse than buttermilk. Oh. You can you can wash your sardines down with buttermilk or Texas. Oh. Anyway, oh. well, our our grandpa Don, he helped run a store, a grocery store, in Augusta, Montana. In the candy snack area, they had these bulk boxes of candy, a lot of chocolates. You know, uh, uh, chocolate covered nuts, chocolate raisins. Caramel patties, you know, with nuts, a, a huge variety, but they're, yeah. you buy them by the pound, you know, you get a, your sack and scoop them in and got to be that when this stuff got a little bit old where they couldn't sell it in the grocery store anymore, it was brought over to the feedlot 
and put into the office where even though it was discolored, you know, whatever, yeah. you can still eat it just fine. And Oh, yeah. Live on for weeks at the office. Months even sometimes. That, that toffee bar thing for months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, my favorite that ever came in there was the caramel patties. You know, a, a chocolate-covered caramel patty with some nuts in there. And one thing about the feedlot and all the livestock during the summer, lots of flies, you know. Yeah, a lot of flies. Flies go with, with livestock. And I remember sitting in the office one day there. We'd been out doing whatever, came in and grabbed a handful of caramel patties like I did about every, you know, 30, 40 minutes for the previous, I don't know how many weeks. And I was sitting there eating. And for whatever reason, I'd never done it before. I took a bite out of this caramel patty and was chewing. I looked down where I'd taken the bite out of it. And it was moving. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) And so I... I mean, I, I didn't really know what I seen. I started looking. My caramel patty was full of maggots. Oh, the one you were eating? <laughs> the one I was eating. The one I just chewed up and swallowed. And I, uh, I proceeded to investigate the rest of the caramel patties in my hand, and they were full of maggots, and so was the whole box. I have no idea how long those caramel patties have been been hatching fly eggs. I don't know how many... <laughs> how many weeks worth of maggots I had been eating in these caramel patties. You had to have ate a bunch of them. Man. Oh, man. So I don't. I, I will. I wish I could remember what you and um. That made those canned sardines look, you know, look a lot better. You know, that's funny you mentioned the sardines because that's what I. That was kind of my early memory of sardines. And so, for good old time's sake, last, it was two summers ago when we bailed, we hauled all that straw to the ranch because of the drought, you know, we fed all that straw to the cows. Yeah. We stopped at a little store and they had some sardines there for sale. And Weston and I, of course, this was just two years ago. Weston was home visiting and, and he was able to haul a bunch of the straw and help us get it moved. And we stopped at this little store and what do they have in the corner of the top shelf? They got an old box of sardines. So I was like, oh, remember these at the feedlot? Weston was like, I don't think he remembers the sardine days because that was a little before. I think they upped the game there in the later years with the snackage. But I was like, we got to get these. So we buy the sardines and I look on the back and I see that they've been outdated for, for months. But for some reason, I thought that was fine. I don't know why I, 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 don't know why I thought that would be okay. Well, I, I, the reason is because all of the sardines that were at the feedlot were all the old outdated ones from the grocery store. <laughs> Okay, okay. So, just like everything that was over there, just ingrained into my youth that it's fine. The expiration dates don't really mean anything. There's no maggots in there. It doesn't really matter. So, we get these sardines and we load it. So, I did this YouTube episode on hauling all this straw. And the last load of straw that we hauled, we're kind of doing the outro for YouTube. And, all right, you know, thanks for following. And we're going to make it through the winter. And we decided to celebrate by eating sardines and we cracked these sardines open and Weston grabs one, I grab one and Brewster grabs one. And I got so food poisoned that night. It was like the most awful, horrible, just <laughs> night of nonstop puking and just laying on the bathroom floor that I've ever had. Ew. So something about the magic of youth, you, you can ingest that stuff and just power through it. But those days are uh-huh. passed me by, I'm afraid. Yep, sardines, oh, sardines, man. Sardines. Ah, oh, 
Yeah, and I never thought about the origin. I just knew they were there. You'd open that drawer and there's just sardines. Well, or open the fridge and there were sardines. And it was sardines in spring water, sardines in mustard, sardines in ketchup. Yeah. Some in oil. But yeah. Yeah, that was always a that was always a, a cupboard full of sardines. You know, speaking of strange foods real quick, something that everyone might get a kick out of. You know, all my life I have for those of you that are listening, I have pretty much whatever Luke says, I will just do it. Like he'd be like, just just go do it and I'll do it. Because I've always really looked up Luke being the eldest, you know, setting the trend for the rest of the siblings. So you had kind of this this power. And usually, you know, you didn't take advantage of it too bad with like, you know, go get me this or go get me that, you know. But one time you told me about a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. You remember this at all? Nope. You, you'd come home from school and we're just having our afternoon snacks. And you're like, you guys, you have to try a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. They're so good. And I think, I think you'd mentioned, oh, I can't, I think you'd mentioned that. I don't know why I remember this, but you said Carly Jezbold, one of your classmates <laughs> showed you this and, and it was just so good. And of course we were all young. We knew who all the, all the high school kids were because of our small community. And I'm like, oh, she said it's good. Luke says it's good. I'm down. So you talked me into making a peanut butter and pickle sandwich. And I ate it. And somehow you talked me into thinking that it was good. And so I believed for a couple of years that those were good. And for a while, that was actually something on my personal snack menu was peanut butter and pickle sandwiches. But it was a total farce. And I had no idea because you never told me like, oh, hey, I was just teasing. I remember like, that was like six years ago. I was teasing, man. Like, never, no, I just had to grow out of it on my own. I never, I never learned the truth. Well, it just goes to show you that if something doesn't taste good, it's all in your head. If you could <laughs> choke that down for years. Yeah. Yep. Oh, oh man. See, I thought, I thought, uh, I thought you were gonna segue that into saying that that's actually a thing that you've learned with all these NASCAR truckers. Is that's? They said Chris is a good cook there at the at the at the race. You know, I wonder, I wonder if we could do this because everyone Chris is revered as like the guy at the track and i witnessed it the other day everyone comes to eat whatever chris has everyone comes i wonder if he could talk people into thinking the same thing peanut butter and pickle little like little sliders just little bite-sized little sliders for the race crew peanut butter and pickle baby <laughs> you just get those sliced pickles so each each bite is just like one sliced pickle size <laughs> just a little a little dollop of some natural peanut butter on there yeah, well, I wonder if we could. I bet some of these guys could get on. I know, I know a couple of these truckers we can talk to for sure. The bar is pretty low. Well, tell us the the Phoenix story, man. What's been? Yeah. Oh, so is is a lot. Here's here's. I'm just gonna preface it with this, okay? So if you're if you're not a NASCAR fan, go to a NASCAR race live, and you will forever be a NASCAR fan. It is. It's hard to explain having never, you know, all the guys that I'm with, I kind of felt silly because I'm all just, you know, big wide eyes and everything's like, ooh, ah, oh, look at this. Oh, what's that? And these guys have been doing it week in and week out for years. So the majesty of race day is long past. It's more of a, we're here, you know, we're here to get down to business. We're going to try to win this race. We're going to pack up. We're going to get out of here. You know, 
move on to the next one. And so I'm I'm kind of wandering around looking at this stuff, just going, holy smoke. Do you remember, uh, I'm trying to think maybe the first time you would have experienced this, like going to a monster, and the, like the first time those monster trucks really, they start up their engines, they really get after it. And they just let those motors rip. It's like the, it's like a whole different level of like, you've heard like engines and noise and Jake brakes from semis, but like the first time you hear a monster truck, like take off to do a run you know, in, at the fairgrounds or in a stadium or whatever, it's like, whoa, like you could feel it in your, like in your body. It, it was, it was like that. It reminded me of that. And just as far as the, the power of all these, you know, these 30 some race cars all firing up at the same time. And it, it was, it was kind of an interesting balance for me because I, you know, part of what I'm doing for junior motorsports is creating content for their social media. So on one hand, I wanted to just like put everything away and just soak it in and, you know, like, Oh, let me just, let me just eat this up. But on the other hand, I had to, you know, I've got a job to do and I'm having to try to you know, put together some content that'll work for them to send back so they can post. And, and then at the same time, you know, create a YouTube episode out of this, out of this trip, more or less. So it was a lot. I, to me, I felt like it was a really well-oiled machine. People's opinion of how well-oiled NASCAR as an organization is kind of differs, I think, from, from one guy to the next when you're chatting with people around the racetrack. But as far as... Let me ask the question right there. Did you yeah. say well-oiled depending on who you talk to? Yeah. My guess is everyone on the ground thinks it's an absolute disaster and they, could, they all know how to do it all better. Exactly. Anytime yeah, I've ever yeah. been involved with a, anything that might be considered a big organization or been around it, everyone on the, the ground level is just always shaking their heads saying what a, a dumpster fire thing seems to be. <laughs> yeah, especially, I, I think, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to describe it. You know, especially if things are slow or delayed or whatever, then everyone's really getting mad. Like, oh, you know, this this isn't like, why is this, why is this such a hard thing? This shouldn't be so hard to run. Yeah. We, we just do this, do that. It would be smoother and easier and better. <laughs> so you're, you're uh, spot on there. Yeah. Because I, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I don't know that this would be a reason why things wouldn't go smooth, but the person on the ground has probably no idea how working with the TV network, who's working with having certain ad times versus commentary exactly. times. <laughs> with, yeah. Right. I mean, there's so many levels to something like that to to put on a show. I mean, a, a race that's going to be televised that involves so much stuff. Um, it's really crazy that it actually even gets off the ground. I know, I know. See, and so there was there was that side of it that was interesting, and then to me, the it's like everybody kind of knows what they're supposed to do. There's it's just kind of unwritten rules, and all these these race teams have been doing this for so long, you know. They all pull in. They all know where to. And then even after the race is over, every, I mean, everything's packed up, and we're on the road within two hours of the race getting over. Like we're on the road, being in the trucks. All the cars are on the move, and you know that's that. Which is just, you know, here I am wanting to be helpful and like, hey, do you need? And everyone's just kind of like, nope, 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 nope. We do this every week. We all have our thing. We all have our spot. You know, probably best to just go stand over in the corner and just watch it happen. 
<laughs> so more or less, that's kind of what I did, you know, just stay out of the way and don't get run over. It's kind of like a traveling circus. I mean, it's, you know, they come in every weekend to a new town. They set everything up. It's this whole giant, you know, you have, you have up to basically potentially 90 different little shops, little mechanic shops set up for all the different trucks and the Xfinity cars, and the cup cars. It's just this huge moving city, basically this moving mechanic shop. And it was, it was something I, I think I'm hoping, you know, I've got all this footage that I took. It'd be interesting to lay the footage out and kind of see, I'm hoping that I kind of captured some of the, some of the, it's a lot of it's just behind the scenes things. Don't, you don't see because a lot of fans don't don't get into the infield. You know, they just stay in the stands, and you don't you don't really see how all this goes down and just what all goes into it. Mm-hmm. But it it was way beyond my expectations. I mean, Taylor told me it was going to be fun. He's like, "This you just wait," and it was it was way more than that. I mean, all these just the cars and the speed and and you know, it's all this stuff you watched on TV. You know. You've seen video clips, things of pit crews changing tires. And and when you talk, and when you say Taylor, Jackson's referencing Taylor Moyer, who we had on as a guest a couple times previously. Yep. He's the, the crew chief for the Xfinity series of, of junior motorsports, Jackson's yep. buddy. So that's when Jackson says Taylor, that's who he's referencing. If anyone hadn't listened to those episodes. Yeah. So, and then as far as, you know, as far as the race goes, it, it's an interesting dynamic because, and this, this causes some friction, I think, with our race fans least from what I perceive the dynamic is weird because junior motorsports is it's a racing company. And then instead of just having one race car, we have four cars, right? So technically we're teammates, you know, these four cars all work. They're all part of the same company, but they all want independently to win. You know, it's not like, it's not like there's one puppet master that's up there telling which number car, like, Hey, number eight, you can pass number one. You know, number nine, you stay back. If it's not like that, I think a lot of people think it is. So when we've had we've had kind of some interesting finishes this year so far with our our, with our cars, and I think a lot of fans are frustrated, saying, you know, why can't you guys get your team together and and race together a little more rather than we've had some incidents where, well, like yesterday, you know, our car got bumped by one of the other junior cars and and spun us out, you know, put us clear to the hey, back. So hold on just a second. So yeah. We're, your Xfinity series, how many cars from junior motorsports are in the Xfinity series? Four? Yeah, and that's oh. all that's all we race in. Just okay. yeah, they've got four so, cars. They so, so four four cars in this Xfinity series. So they're teammates because they're all in their junior motorsports. Now when you say our car got bumped by one of the other teams card, one of the other guys on the team, does yeah. each car have its own crew chief? Yeah. Yep. Oh. Each car has its own crew chief. It's, it has its own entire crew. There's about 10, 12, is that about right, Chris? 10, 12, basically support people for each car. All right. From the crew chief all the way down to the okay. so I, I didn't, truck drivers. I didn't realize that each car on the team had its own crew and, and chief that probably yeah. yep so that that almost sounds like teammates in name because i mean i don't how is there anything that brings camaraderie among the whole team when everyone has their own they're all in their own independent 
atmosphere and you they probably i mean the drivers probably if they win versus the team winning you know that bumps them up because that puts them probably in a, a position to progress up to a higher level of racing i would guess right exactly so that's why it's kind of especially in this in xfinity because it's so I've heard, I've read that it's, it's described sometimes as sort of a developmental, you know, sector for cup racers. So yeah, each, each individual guy in these different cars is out, obviously, and as they should be, they're out there for themselves because they like, Hey, this is my shot to develop, do well, and hopefully get picked up by a cup team, which would be every driver's ultimate goal. And so I mean, I, I totally understand. You, yeah, you need to race for yourself, and you need to do what you need to do to further your career. And and there's no, there's not like a team. It's not like Junior Motorsports Racing Team won this year. Mm-hmm. You know, they have they have individual mm-hmm. races, and then they have points for the racers. But it's not like we all four cars as a team share a trophy together and all you know hang yeah. around. Is that correct, Chris? Yeah. Right. This would, so, I mean, it's, so it's this really would, not. As I'm thinking, not, as I'm thinking, why the benefit of the team? Why? I, let me say, this, if I was a racer, why would I? Why would I be encouraged if my teammates were winning and I wasn't? The, right. This might be a question for you to ask Taylor, but I would, I would have to say the only, the only reason you would want your team to be successful is because if the team is successful, that means there's probably more sponsorship money available which will benefit you individually to have access to more technology, more whatever. Would, yeah. that, would that be the only reason you, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Cause as a, well, and as a team, if you have a strong team, you know, across the board, Hey, junior motorsports has these four great race teams. You're going to get, you're going to get drivers interested in racing for junior motorsports. And then junior motorsports would say, okay, you, we're going to put you in this car, in that car. But yeah, as a team, if you're strong, it, yeah, it's on the sponsor side, I would say yes. And on the, you know, acquiring new talent, yeah. you know, same thing. Like, it's kind of like, it, you know, college football. It's like, hey, who wouldn't want to go play for Nick Saban or whatever in Alabama, right? You know, they, they might not be winning necessarily that year, but just as a whole, you know, like, this place is going to make me successful as an athlete. And I'd be crazy not to go, you know, play for this coach so to speak so with what because you're kind of hooked up with with taylor what what car what car is the the junior motorsports car that you guys kind of we're yeah we're the we're the number eight car josh barry is our driver josh is really good in fact uh something unique about josh right now is that he's driving the uh, the number nine car which is a napa car for uh, hendrick motorsports their driver Chase Elliott, who's like the most famous NASCAR driver, broke his leg snowboarding last week, and they they hit up our driver Josh Berry to fill in for him. So Josh is running two races a weekend now. He runs Saturdays, you know, in his full time car of ours, and then on Sundays he's jumping in that Hendrick Motorsport number nine in place of Chase Elliott. And that's in the Which, um, that's in the cup, not the Xfinity. That's in that's in cup, yeah. That's in cup. So huge, huge opportunity for him. And we're of course we're all pulling for him, hoping that you know, you want him to do well and, and make the most of his opportunity. But if he does, you know, it likely means he'll get gobbled up <laughs> by somebody. If mm-hmm. you go, Oh, Josh filled in last year and did great. We should try to we should try to snag him for a cup car this year. 
you know. Ah. But, but again, ultimately, you want him to individually to, to do the best he can. So. So now, as far as the 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 semi that you're driving, that's hauling the race cars, are you hauling the number eight car? Yeah, they keep even the truck crews. It's all because our trailer is, is basically the mobile mechanic shop. So we carry the two race cars. You have a primary car and a backup car. Okay. Both number eights are identical cars. And just you have one that you use your primary race car, and the other one you would use as a backup. If, say, for example, you wrecked your, your primary car in qualifying, you would have to pull out your backup car and uh, try to get it race ready. So, yeah, we're all, I would say the most team of all, at least based on my very limited experience, the, the most junior motorsports camaraderie would be between all the truck drivers. I mean, everybody likes each other across the teams. Like, everyone gets along. But the truckers, we all kind of feel like you know, we're all traveling together. We feel pretty, pretty together, it seems like. From my uh, from my limited little experience. Well, as it should, truckers need to stick so, together. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yep. yep. So, uh, so it's it's been fun. But so, kind of back to the race of yesterday. It was a good question that you asked about all that stuff. So we had one of our one of our other cars. We were really storming to making a move, and one of our own junior motorsports cars decided to make a run and just just bumped into the back of us and spun us out. So our number eight, of course, spun out. Luckily, somehow we didn't get wrecked. We just spun out. Nobody hit us. And you fall to the back of the pack and you're going to start working your way up. And, and Josh is Josh is a stud. He's, he's definitely a top hand in the Xfinity. So he makes his way back up to the, to the front pretty quick. But, but it just it got late enough in the race. Anyway, we, we just didn't quite we'll finish top 10. I think we got P8 yesterday, position 8, and uh, which is good. Anytime you can finish top 10, that's a big success. Be consistently in the top 10. So, But but again, now transitioning to you read online a little bit, you know, some of the Instagram, Twitter stuff, comments, things from people. They're really frustrated going like, why? Why don't you guys race as a team? Like, why is one guy hitting another one of your own teammates in the back like that and spinning them out, you know, I yeah. don't think he necessarily d- meant to, but it's like, well, I don't, yeah, un- I don't I understand how that happens. I mean, I can go, you know, 20 or 30 miles per hour and get pretty close to another vehicle and not hit them. <laughs> I mean, I don't so, know. I don't so know. At how, 180, I don't know. Like, you know <laughs> I don't know how these guys, I don't know how these guys have trouble not, you know, doing something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That it is, it is, it is crazy. It is crazy to see in real life bumping and knowing these cars are they're doing anywhere from in the corners maybe one fifty up to one eighty five, you know, in straight, and they are just touching and rubbing. And it's just crazy because they're just like this flash that goes by. Hmm. Uh, a couple things I want to talk about on this some more. One, I just want to. If for anyone that that might not be up to date on what you're doing or is a little bit confused, I am going to give you my take on what you have going on right now, and you All can right. correct me. So, these NASCAR Junior Motorsports, most people have heard of Dale Earnhardt Jr., probably one of the most famous NASCAR racers of all time, arguably. He has a racing team, 
why don't you explain what a racing team means, actually? Yeah, they basically just a company that cars, and they go and they, you know, NASCAR puts on races every weekend. They're members of NASCAR and turned in all these NASCAR races, and and they race. Okay, so they they have cars in the races now. I didn't really fully understand this that they have different levels to NASCAR. And I'm going to yep. I'm going to describe this as Major League Baseball. I think that's the easiest way. Is you have the the Major League teams, you know, Atlanta Braves, you know, Los Angeles Dodgers, New York Yankees. And underneath those, they have what they call their farm teams from way down to just under the Major Leagues where you hear called AAA. A lot of times you hear of a maybe a pitcher that has been injured and as he's coming back, they send him down to AAA for a little while just to get get back in the swing of things. So NASCAR has the cup, which will be comparable to the major leagues in baseball. And then they have Xfinity yep. series, which is, is like that triple a team just under the, under the major leagues. So they, during the race season, they have races. Do they have them every weekend? Yeah. From February till November. Okay. So every they, weekend, they have a week or two off here and there, but so more, every more or less every weekend, there is a NASCAR race and the race cars have to, travel to these races they're based out of charlotte north carolina so that when you have a race that's in phoenix you know in california those cars have to be trucked transported all the way you know across the country we've talked about logbooks drivers can only drive so long before they're not allowed to drive anymore so these trucks that these semis that haul the cars have two drivers in them so they can pretty much drive nonstop. You know, they take shifts driving to account for the logbook rules. So Jackson has been brought in as one of the truck drivers for Junior Motorsports to take on cars that are in the Xfinity series from Charlotte out to the, the, the West Coast in this case. So a couple of weeks ago, he flew out to Charlotte, helped drive out to California. And then there was a couple races on the West Coast where Jackson went back to Montana and carried on with his normal life. And then when that West Coast swing was over, Jackson flew down to Phoenix and now was helping drive these cars back to North Carolina. As part of that process, on some of the race days, he is doing kind of some behind-the-scenes truck driver perspective for Junior Motorsports social media. And so he's driving truck and doing a little bit of social media. Does that kind of sum up what's happening? Yep. Okay. Yep. That that's a pretty good synopsis. Thing that kind of is unique about it is that we, I think, every single place we go, we travel with the Cup Series. So you know, the the analogy you make is is pretty accurate. Where you have people getting called up and sent down, they they switch players back and forth all the time. But they correct. so all so all the races they have a Cup and Xfinity at every race. Yeah, so, so kind of like, like about half of them they have truck races at as well. So, so I, you could maybe equate that to show. like a like a high school sports where you have your varsity and junior varsity team. You're going to have a lot of times two basketball games in yeah. the, on the yep. same in, same night, same gym. Essentially, these race weekends, you're going to have the Xfinity and the Cup races all all together. Okay. Yeah. Similar to to similar to to some of these. If you remember some of the funnest basketball you ever played was playing JV. Maybe you never played JV, but even football, some of the funnest stuff you did was JV because it's it's less refined. 
you know, I remember JV football games were so fun because it was just kind of like, you know what? We just kind of roll with it. <laughs> and it's very similar. A lot of people would say that Xfinity, I would say Xfinity has a lot larger following than, you know, as far as like the AAA baseball would. But a lot of people enjoy Xfinity a little more because, you know, people, they're a little more scrappy. They're fighting for what they got. They know that there's, you know, for every car, there's three three drivers that are just waiting to jump in that seat, mm. you know, if, if they wash out. So it's it's just a little more, a little more, I don't know what the word is, down home, I guess, maybe, whereas the cup is probably a little more of that drive to survive feel. Formula One, pretty, pretty succinct, very, I think some of the people that work, have worked both as far as, you know, mechanics truckers and whatnot kind of prefer Xfinity because it's just a little more, a little more relaxed. I gotcha. <laughs> so that makes sense. So how, and the, on the cup series, how many, how many cars does junior motorsports have going? None. We don't, we don't race in the cup at all. Oh, junior motorsports is not in the cup. Okay. No, we're just hundred percent Xfinity and it's tricky. The cup deal is tricky. I don't know how many years you get your license for in cup, but I think last article that I read, it's up to like 20 or $22 million to get, I think it's called a charter to be able to race in the cup series. Hmm. And I don't know. I, I apologize. I don't know if that's annual or if it's every, you know, every couple of years that that, that has to be paid, but it to race cup to it, uh-huh. Um, it's, it's just, so it's, it's whole, even the sponsorship game, again, you go to Xfinity sponsorship is, is, is nice. You get a lot of more of these, like our sponsor yesterday, for example, Jared, the hat that I'm wearing today, just great family out of Ohio. And they're, you know, like they're just really down home. It's like a family company that sponsoring us and, you know, got to meet, meet the Jarrett family. They were great. Whereas in cup, you're going to find a lot more corporate type sponsors stuff that you know you just don't get that good old that good old down home and mm. it's just on every level whether it's sponsors or you know, crew is uh, the, the whole atmosphere it's just a very different mm. different feel so when you're talking about josh berry who is who was up with hendrix motorsports driving for them i was thinking oh he does good he's gonna just pop up into the junior motorsports car at cup but that's now i see why why you you want your drivers to do real well so they can progress, but you also who's <laughs> like, well, maybe not so yeah, well, so yeah, you stay with us. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once they go up, you know, you're like, no. Okay. Interesting. For a year, anyway. yeah. Okay. I've got a lot to learn, of course. I'm not by no means if you're out there listening and you're a you're a NASCAR aficionado. I am by no means a wizard. I am. I have a lot to learn, but uh, I don't know. You, you've done. You've done one race day. That I. I would expect to get <laughs> it all down one race day. As a as a NASCAR <laughs> hauler driver. Yo. Oh, I think I think as long as you don't turn one of those tires loose out onto the track during the race, you're probably going to be good. <laughs> um, oh man. <laughs> so I'll. You know, that Drive to Survive on Netflix, which is about Formula One. I watched yep. one season of that and I, I kind of got, I thought they, it was very well done. I really liked it. Yeah. And I have found that I, I, I can't believe how much I keep an eye on Formula One racing now. Just from watching, you know, a couple episodes of that. I will say that NASCAR 
racing has a little bit of a stereotype of maybe not being the most exciting thing to watch. But, <laughs> but once you once you start to learn the people behind it, totally changes it. And I'll give you an example is like Rooster now. Almost every Saturday, he's calling me to ask me if I'm watching the NASCAR race. Really? <laughs> Dad, I've, 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 I don't think I've ever watched more than 30 seconds as I was flipping through the channels and someone asked me a question when I happened to be on the NASCAR race and I paused. <laughs> no, no, he's like, he's like planning out his Saturdays so he can watch, watch the races, which no matter what he says, in a million years, would he never have done that until he started to have some, some personal investment in well you have a little connection yeah and all of a sudden it's like ooh. so you know i uh we may even actually need to have junior motorsports sponsor our podcast because i have a feeling we're <laughs> going to be talking about the number eight car a little more and, and <laughs> right. as people hear more about josh barry and learn about this team they're going to get a little bit of you know a little bit of personal connection to it and next thing you know yeah there's going to be yeah. a little more eyes coming to that that junior motorsport <laughs> department. That's good. You know, I say that jokingly, <laughs> but in the reality, I, I, it, it is, it is interesting how those kind of sports on which on the surface might not be the most exciting thing. As soon as you start to know some of the personal stories of, of this and some of the, you know, the team and whatnot, you, you do start to pay attention to a little more and keep an eye on it. And I, I'd be willing to bet we do have uh, listeners that will, you know, keep a little bit of an eye on that number eight car in the Xfinity series, just because of yeah. your connection to it. Yeah. And we're, I mean, we are, I'm not just hyping Josh Berry in the number eight because he's our guy. I mean, if we had a, some terrible driver, I'd probably still hype him. But in seriousness, like we have such a great car and like our crew is so, we're so good. We are, we've just had so many tough breaks. We've had like, the most bizarre things that have just set us back where, I mean, we could just have easily, you know, been in top three in all of these races that we've been in. I think this is our, is this our fourth race? I think this is our fourth. Anyway, we're just right there. So we're, we're just on the cusp of uh, doing something really great here. So, so yeah, if you haven't checked it out, you guys check out the number eight Saturdays. It's usually on FS1 out there on the old on the old tube so i didn't catch a glimpse of <clears throat> battle axe jacks out there in the pit what battle axe jacks is that where did that come from i just kind of just came out of my mouth here while i was talking oh yeah. ah, so it's like a self kind of a yeah. self nickname yeah <laughs> like a self Ooh, call axe. sign you oh interesting <laughs> are you gonna yeah you got a lot of miles to convince chris to to kind of <laughs> Adopt that battle. <laughs> <laughs> I had an old trucker one time that I trucked with, one of my first truck driving jobs. And he goes, he goes, they call me Maverick. I said, he's a little, he's just kind of, he's a unique individual. <laughs> he goes, they call me Maverick. And I was like, I never could ask him, but I want to say, who's they? What do you, like someone named you this? I get the feeling you named yourself this. And anyway, Battle Axe Jacks would just definitely, that's me. And I'll own that from, from day one. I just made that up. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. Well, self, self, self-identified nicknames. Well, self, you know, I, when I, whatever, I'm not even going to go down there. <laughs> whatever. Roll. Um, all right. I, one last question here on, on if you, if you can answer this, 
So number eight car spun out by a teammate this week, this yeah. last weekend. Does that, does that cause a little tension amongst the team in the air? So, so I, I know so if, I, if you're, I know if it was a, a different team spun you out, there's probably some, probably some choice words being said. You can kind of cuss out that other team and, and be upset and frustrated. But if it's a teammate, is there just a lot of, I mean, is, is it a tense air where, you know, things want to be said and they can't because your teammates or how does that, did you notice anything or how does that all shake out? I, you know, this, this wasn't, this wasn't too bad. A lot of people would just chalk this up and say, ah, it's racing. You hear that a lot. Ah, that's racing. That's racing. At Daytona, if, if any of you guys watched Daytona, we had a, we had quite a deal. We basically had a, pretty much had a wreck where the whole team got tangled up in a wreck together, more or less. And everyone pretty much wrecked everyone. And that was the first, that's the Daytona of the first race out the gate. So that's kind of what got everyone started on like, you guys, race as a team. Because <laughs> we just started out that way. But I think my, I think I find that I'm way more indignant than, than everybody else. Like that happens and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. That's our own. You know, and I'm getting all pumped up and everyone's like, well, now roll on the next weekend. That's racing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because you have like 30 some races or whatever, you know, it's like in my mind, I'm like, no, this was our this was our shot. This was our one. This was it. And I was like, no, no, we got a lot. We got a lot to go. (laughs) So so anyway, right on, man. Well, we are getting out of time. I had a I had a goat have babies the morning of that huge storm that came through course Ooh. so i had her in the barn I, I saw it was coming we got pretty chilly at night so i brought those babies in the house and just have them a little uh-huh. area in the house and i'm just yeah. i'm just out there milking her you know to get that colostrum going and yeah. i took one of them out this morning when i went to to do all my chores to put in with her just to get some time in with her and she she had actually had a a small little triplet that was dead that I, d- I didn't know she had another one in there. She looked big. And there's a thing with goats. If you think they got a retained baby in there, you can kind of put your hands under their belly in a certain spot and lift them and shake them. And you can feel that baby in there. And she still looked big, but I couldn't feel anything in there. So I, I thought, you know, like, that must be it. And so today I went out and she had, she had actually pushed out that other one, a real, real small one. And she wanted nothing to do with, with these two now, like won't even let uh, them come close to her. So, oh no! So we are going to be bottle feeding. Just what you needed. Just what Little I needed. twin goats, and twin kids. So you know, she's our dairy goat. We we like to milk her for for you know goat dairy so you products. Use it doesn't, really, doesn't hurt anything other than adding to your daily chore load. <laughs> yeah, and you know when you when you do those goats, you got to pull those babies off to to really milk those goats. Well, so that's that's what a lot of people with dairy goats do anyway, but I just wasn't quite ready to commit to daily bottle feeding and milking. But I'm committed. <laughs> Here so, you are. So that's what I'm I'm just about to head out the door to go go milk this goat and come feed babies that are in our house. <laughs> just baby central. <laughs> baby central. It's gonna it's gonna warm up tomorrow though. So those those guys are, are headed out of doors tomorrow. Oh, that'll be nice. But they will be anyone that doesn't know goats that have been uh, bottle fed by humans from the day they were born. If you thought if you thought you could get your dog tame, 
<laughs> man, you can make an annoying, irritating, oh, but endearing goat at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no joke. So we'll got we'll have two of them. Well, that'll be fun. Well, anything else from you, Jay? No, I think that's about it. We're gonna we're gonna wrap this trip up. We should hit Charlotte. Uh, oh, first thing in the morning, and then I gotta bum a ride to the airport, fly it back home. I guess get back to work. All right. Well, you guys drive well out there and uh, anyone that needs to get a hold of us steady at the wheel podcast at gmail.com is the best way steady at the wheel podcast on instagram and uh, for sure youtube we got the podcast on youtube we're a couple episodes behind on youtube from from catching up to where the audio version is but we're working to get those up released pretty close to the same but uh we'd really appreciate it if you go on there to youtube and subscribe on that channel that uh, helps us out nothing else man drive well you bet Sounds good. Okay, bye.